So in dealing with this ongoing subject of how to live before God in this world, that which I've called the sanctified life, we arrive now at a text that deals with the word of God itself in 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, I thought that it would be a good time to kind of go over from what we've been considering to talk about the word of God itself. And then next week, Lord willing, I'm going to bring in the subject of giving thanks or thanksgiving, which of course is um, timely. But before we did that, I wanted to, to just speak about these verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, although I am going to draft in some verses also from chapter 1. Now, the word of God is... It's what, the, it's what the church is all about. It's what the Christian life depends upon. The problem is that it is so easy, especially in our contemporary world, to make the word of God just one more thing that we do at church. If you read in the book of Acts, or if you read the Gospels, you will find that the Word of God is, by far, the main ingredient in the service and response to God. In the early church, it was all about people coming together to hear the Word of God and to learn from the Word of God. It's not that in uh, adding to this programs, you know, things like Sunday school, uh, youth groups, uh, worship bands or whatever, these uh, different things that churches do, that these are not in themselves good things or cannot be good things. Sometimes, of course, they can turn into bad things, but it is that they can crowd out the main focus of what the church is supposed to be doing. The church is supposed to be listening to the proclamation of the word of God. And then the church is supposed to be responding to the proclamation of the word of God. It is in response, in reaction to, to what God says, which the, the Christian life is made up of. It's not in response to anything else. It's not in response to your feelings. It's not in response to uh, anything, certainly, that the world is doing. It's solely supposed to be the way we react, we, we, we react, excuse me, to the the proclamation of God's word. Your fellowship, one with another, is supposed to be based on what you've heard from God. If it's not, it's not fellowship. It's not koinonia. It's just you 
hanging out with your friends. That means that there has to be a transformation that always happens under the preaching of God's word. If you are, and I am to have a mind that is a different kind of a mind and an outlook that's a different kind of an outlook to that of the world, it's only going to be achieved if we pay attention to the Bible and we respect it and we understand that it is first and foremost. I was uh, speaking with... uh, a uh, pastor yesterday we had them around a pastor from uh, another church in uh, Ukiah and uh, we had them around for dinner and we had a great time uh, great guy and um, we were talking about his passion for the word of God and, and he said this he said they're going through a kind of a difficult time at the moment. I don't want to go through, of course, all of the details. It doesn't matter who it is. But, but he said that he was listening there to the book of Ephesians being started. They were starting a series on Ephesians. Good. Great. But he says, I was dying. I was dying because in the... 25 minutes of the sermon, only a a few minutes were actually spent in the text of Ephesians. The rest of it was stories and tales and jokes. Folks, that's not the proclamation of the Word of God. That's not what the church is about. That's not a biblical sermon. And he said, I was looking at the, at the words in Ephesians. And he said, there's all of this wonderful material there. And he's not mentioning any of it. We need to understand the priority of the Bible. And we need to treat it for what it is. It is the only word of God that we possess. It's the only word of God that we're going to run into in our lives until we get up there and we actually hear him speaking himself. And we need to uh, to prize it like that. So the first thing that I want to call our attention to is the fact that the word of God is a great gift. A great gift. We take it for granted in the West because we can just buy one and if we don't even have to buy one. We can go to often to uh, the box at the end of a, the yard of somebody who's, have, who's had a yard sale and pick one up from out of the box. Or we can go to a thrift store and just get one for next to nothing. We can go to the Gideons and ask them for one. You can come to this church, as some people have, and ask for one. They'll get one. It's nothing. I mean, you can just get one any old time you want. That's not the case in China. That's not the case in many places in Africa. That's not the place, the, the case in Iran, Venezuela, many, many places. Probably the majority of places in the world. 
The word of God is understood to be a gift in places like that. It is valued. It is prized above every other word. Everywhere apart from in the West. In the West, there are other words, competing words. Some of them good words, some of them trivial words. But there are lots of words. Uh, my daughter likes to drink this uh, foofy tea. I'm not a foofy tea kind of a person. Okay, I mean it's got to be the real deal, otherwise I'm, I'm not interested. Okay, but but we've got these other foofy teas, and I'm not sure what it is. It's called a, it's a relaxing tea, um, some kind of chai thing, whatever. Anyway, it's, it's got, when you, when you take it out of the bag, it has this little, you know, word, this pearl of wisdom. Yes? Like, you know, Eastern wisdom, usually. Because <coughs> tea comes from the East, you know. So, and automatically, you know, you have to, it comes with wisdom because it's from the East. And, uh, you know, she reads it out to me and we, go, we both go together, you know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> We've just been impacted by this, this, this soul-changing word. And, you know, we find, these, we find words in, uh, in cookies and the words of different people, uh, ancient and modern. We find them in uh, pop songs that are quoted, you know, Imagine by John Lennon and, you know, many others, which is uh, one of the most idiotic uh, lyrics that's ever been written by a human being and then there are you know there are these great sages there's the Martin Luther King Jr and his words and Mahatma Gandhi and his words and uh, Maya Angelou and her words and uh, all kinds of different gurus that there have been in history and they're all fashionable. Their words are all cool. But you won't find a word from God quoted as being wise and as being something to make you pause and think about. The world does not value and does not understand that the Bible is a great gift. It is the only word that comes from God, the only word from outside. And when we pick it up, even though we're used to it and used to handling it and we, we think we know it, we should always, when we read it, we should always realize that this is the word of life. And God takes an interest in his word. The Holy Spirit is the author of the word. The Holy Spirit is within us. And don't you think that the Holy Spirit is concerned with the way we are responding or not responding to it? That's where it gets down to the subject of the sanctified life. What kind of authority and power are we allowing this word to have in our lives? What kind of voice does it have in our lives? When was the last time we picked it up? When was the last time we read it and actually paid attention to it? 
The devil came to Jesus one day and tested him. Jesus was extremely hungry. He'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And so, being the Son of God, why don't you just, you know, about time, I mean, you're hungry. It's about time you turn one of these rocks into some bread. I mean, come on, 40 days you've been. I mean, you've been at this 40 days. It's surely long enough. I mean, let's be reasonable here. Just use your power and get, get some food. You need food. Jesus' response was, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's a very um, interesting saying. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, of course, this is not God's words that are are uttered in the heavens to the angels and, and, and among the persons of the Trinity. But it is. We have every word that proceeds from the mouth of God to man is here. That's why the Bible's a big book. This is what we're supposed to live by. Jesus, in responding to the devil and the devil's temptation and the devil's words, didn't do what Eve did and think about it. He responded by, look, never mind your words. These are the words. These are the words. The words of God that we're supposed to live by. He understood that it's a great gift. The psalmist in Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. If you want to turn there, Psalm 12. He says this about the words of God. Psalm 12. Verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. You see, you cannot say this about any other person's words. They're not utterly pure. And the reason that they're not utterly pure is because they don't come from a sinless being. So yes, Martin Luther King said some cool things and some good things and some wise things. And we should recognize them, at least some of the things that he said, as being wise. But the thing that made them wise is that they actually agreed with these words. And wherever and whenever he disagreed with these words, he was no longer wise. The words of the Lord purified seven times. Well, I don't think my words are even purified once. That's why it's so important to pay heed to the words of God. That's why it's so important that the pulpit ministry in the churches reflects the words of God. You want to know what God says. 
You want to know God's opinions of things. And it says here, you shall keep them, O Lord. The preservation of the word of God. The fact that it came over thousands of years, but the last time that it came was in the first century AD. But it's been preserved for us. It's a miraculous gift that we've got this book today. And God has made sure that this word has been preserved for us. Why? So we can put it on our shelves, so it can collect dust? Why did he preserve it? Because he wants us to read it, listen to it, grow by it. If we don't understand the gift that we've been given, we will treat it like it's any other word. Secondly, therefore, there has to be a predisposition to read it. And the passage here says, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. What's that? That's preparation. Isn't it? It's preparation for the reading of the word of God. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. If if your translation, by the way, says... uh, Pure spiritual milk, that's not a translation. Okay? That's not a translation. That's not the Greek text. That's an interpretation foisted on the text. So get one that actually translates the text. Desire the pure milk of the word. But have some have a predisposition to read it. Here, laying aside all malice. If you have a malicious intent or thought about somebody, try and put that aside before you pick it up. All deceit. That's all kinds of different things, but all kinds of of lies that are being entertained by you. Hypocrisy. Are you living a double life? Are you double-minded in your ways? Have you got one foot in the church and one foot in the world? God knows you're a hypocrite. Maybe it's your hypocrisy that's stopping you from reading the word of God. Envy. And all evil speaking. Do something about that. And then as newborn babes. This is an illustration. Okay, It's a simile. As newborn babes. I'm not saying that you are newborn babes. It's like just like a newborn babe desires what? Milk. Well, be like that. You desire the word. Do you see? That's why the translation pure spiritual milk is a bunch of nonsense. What on earth is pure spiritual milk? I don't know. And neither do you. And neither did the translation translators, they don't even deserve that, that uh, name, who put it in there. Pure spiritual milk. What a bunch of nonsense. Where, where, where is that? I'm not telling you. Oh, okay. 
any of the paraphrase, any of them that are not New King James, New American Standard, ESV, or um, King James. All right. So, as a newborn babe, here's your illustration, that desire that they have to be fed, that should be your desire for the milk of the word. Now, please, again, don't misunderstand the words milk of the word. Because Paul elsewhere says that in the book, and the Hebrews, book of Hebrews also says that if you're going to be mature, you need to get past milk, yes, and get onto meat. But that's not what Peter is, is talking about here. He's just using an illustration. So it's not like you're supposed to be babies just drinking, all you can take is milk. You can't take any, uh, anything from the Bible that's meaty. Okay? It's not saying that. It's saying the desire that you should have towards the reading and the learning of the Word of God should be like that of a baby. I'm sorry if I'm overdoing it here, but I want you to get the illustration. Job, in verse 20, chapter 23 of verse 12, says, I have esteemed your word more than my necessary food. That's the idea. Is there a hunger for the word of God? Is there a desire for reading it? Is there a desire for learning it? Or does it just go in one ear and out the other ear? In fact, does it not even go through the ear? Be honest with yourself. I mean, God knows, doesn't he? God knows how important this book is to us. It is one of the, the, the extraordinary things in the New Testament. It's kind of one of those uh, hidden truths is that the book of First Thessalonians and the book of Second Thessalonians are full of doctrine, full of all kinds of teaching. But Paul, according to the book of Acts, was thrown out of Thessalonica after three weeks. Now, I'm not saying the influence of his teaching and so on uh, didn't... Uh, Continue, and that he may have wrote more letters and so on and so forth. We don't know. Well, what I am saying is, hey, he got to teaching them. In fact, in the first chapter of First Thessalonians, chapter one. In fact, turn there to, with me, so you can read it yourself. Because he commends them for their response to the word. Verse 9, they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. How did they turn? Why did they turn? Because they heard the word of God. In fact, in verse 5 it says, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you 
for your sake. Because they were prepared to hear the word of God, it had power in their lives. Verse 13 of chapter 2. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which also effectually, effectively works in you who believe, and doesn't effectually work in those of you that don't believe. And doesn't effectually work in any of you that despise it, and don't read it, and don't pay attention to it. You say, stop being negative. I'm not, I, I'm just saying that this book has got to be esteemed and it has the power to change our lives. And it has the power to change the spiritual torpor that we might be in and make us alive spiritually. It has that power. You might be reading the book of Deuteronomy. You might be reading all of those boring chapters in First Chronicles. And they are boring. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so and it's like... You know, kill me now. <laughs> but you know, I mean, ten chapters of it. They're important, it's important stuff, and it's all the Word of God, and I'm glad it's there. But even that has power because it's the Word of God. So I'd rather you be reading 1 Chronicles 1 through 10 and saying, well, this is rather boring, you know, and this is not, and it's. Doing that than not reading it at all, because it does have a spiritual effect on you for good. But there must be, to get back to the point, a predisposition to read it. To read it. There must be a desire. How on earth are you going to grow as a Christian? How on earth are you going to uh, live a separated and a sanctified life for God if you're not in the Word of God. And when I say the Word of God, I mean the Bible. I don't mean a bunch of devotional nonsense. There are some good devotions, don't get me wrong. Spurgeon and Oswald Chambers and so on, there are some really good ones and I recommend them to you. Of course there are. But do, do you think Spurgeon and Oswald Chambers would say to you, hey, read my devotional instead of reading the Bible? I think not. The most valuable thing you can do with your time, with your spare time, is read this book and be in it. Desire it. Look at it. what it says. That you may grow. That you may grow. If you're not in the Bible, you are not growing spiritually. If you're not under the sound of the true preaching of the Bible, you are not growing. And if I am not preaching to you the word of God for what it is, I am responsible for you not growing. 
He says a number of other things in chapter 1 about the word. Look at verse 22 of 1 Peter 1. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not with corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because, and he starts waxing poetic here, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. If you understand it's a gift, that will help you to have a predisposition to read it and then you will grow. Which brings me to the third point here. Growth through the word of God. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, we understand why it's pure, that you may grow thereby. Okay. You have to have a desire for the word of God in order to grow, which means you have to have a desire to grow. (laughs) Yes. But it also, there's a a flip side to this. It means God has a desire for you to grow too. Yes? God's desire is that you grow, and God's desire is that you grow through the word of God. Your response to his word is the way that you grow. My response too. So imagine, get to the end of the book, the end of the life. There you are, it's you, you're in front of the Lord Jesus. You've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, if I can put it in these terms, is going to tell on you. No secrets. And here is the glorified Lord, your Saviour, your King, and He wants to know about how you have treated His Word. He's not interested in how you've treated anybody else's words, actually. He's interested in how you've reacted, responded to his words. How important have they been? Have they been rattling around in your brain? Or somebody else's words have been rattling around in your brain? Has your mind been transformed by these words, because these are the only words that can transform it in the way God wants it, or has your mind been transformed by other decaying, impure, dead words. He wants to know if you have grown. That's worth thinking about. Because God wants us to grow. That's understood. Do you want to grow? Do you want to grow? 
What is your desire for the word of God then? There are so many of God's people and sometimes you wonder whether they are God's people. Because, you know, technique can actually duplicate the work of the Holy Spirit. And so much that is done today is manipulation and technique in churches to bring about an emotion. But as far as growing is concerned, as I've said before, there is a responsibility for the people of God to make sure that what they are hearing is something they can grow under. My friend, the pastor yesterday, the reason that his heart fell, the reason that he was sad, he had tears in his eyes, is because he loved the word of God. He loved the book of Ephesians. And what he heard was a bunch of stories. And he said five to ten minutes were on just really, you know, hardly touch those verses that should be your response too that should be my response when we're not getting fed when God's people are not getting fed growth the word of God is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path supposed to be That's, again, the idea of growth in a a figure, isn't it? You're moving forward using the word of God. You're going through life, meeting life's experiences, analyzing yourself by the light of the word of God. You're letting it shine. It's It's the light that you choose, the flashlight that you pick to go forward with. So that growth is you exercising your mind, your spirit, your heart with this word. If it's going first, you're paying attention to it, you're prizing it, you're listening to it, you're growing by it. You say, how are you growing? Sometimes in uh, ways that are not easy to define or understand but you're, you are if, if the word of God has any authority in your life you are being uh, as it were inured brought to God's way of looking at things and away from the world your fingers that are clasping the world are being gradually un, you know gra- uh, sorry snatched away from the world and you release your grasp and you grasp onto the things of God. As newborn babes desire the word that you may grow. It used to be said of the prophets the word of the Lord has come to them. And that was a big thing. 
because back when the prophets were doing their work, prophesying, was hardly any Bible at all. Think of the time of Isaiah, the time of Jeremiah. How many copies do you think of Genesis were floating around? Do you think there was one in every house? How much scripture was there? So the word of the Lord was prized. And when the word of the Lord didn't come, it was noted. Well, guys, the word of the Lord is here. It has come to us. Let us make sure that we desire it. Because without it, there's no point in preaching on the sanctified lives. There's no point in preaching on any other kind of life. Everything is dependent on our response to this book. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge these words in the Bible are your words. They come with your authority and your power. And they come also with a decision on our part, an obligation on our part, a responsibility. And Father, none of us, we confess it, none of us, respond to it properly every day of our lives. But like in everything else in a spiritual life, there's always today. There's always time to change. There's always time to pick it up and read. And that's what I pray for us all. May this be a reminder of the great gift that we have in all of our hands, in all of our houses. May we be reminded that this is the only way to grow and that we should desire it. And that if there is anything that's stopping us from picking it up and reading it and paying attention to it, that means that we have not prepared our hearts and our minds to do it. There's something in the way. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would value growth. We would take your book and we would make it the lamp that we use today and the next day and all of the days that we have down here. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.